Hello. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to On The Go with VAO News Podcast for the week ending July 10th, 2015. We hope everyone had a safe and enjoyable Independence Day holiday last week. I am Dara Curran, news writer and content developer. And I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. As usual, uh, this week we'll have a discussion about an interesting news item or two that caught our eye. Uh, But first, we are going to start with some headlines. Let's hop into our time machine and take a look at the strange future world of 2017. (laughs) Last week, OMB released its revised Circular A11, which provides guidance on preparing fiscal year 2017 Budget proposals. I have just recently stopped writing 2014 on my checks. Uh, most of these changes are technical revisions or clarifications. Policy requirements remained largely unchanged. A summary of changes made since last year is included. Uh, so get ready for 2017, folks. Also last week, the Small Business Administration announced that the government had exceeded its small business prime contracting goal in fiscal year 2014. Congratulations. Agencies awarded 24.99% of eligible contracting dollars to small businesses. And this is the second consecutive year the government has met or surpassed its goal. And this is the highest percentage achieved since the 23% target was set in 1997. In all, small businesses received $91.7 billion in contracts last year. That's an $8 billion increase over 2013. And exciting news, the federal government also improved in all of its small business socioeconomic categories and received an A on the government-wide scorecard. Now, breaking down those numbers, uh, agencies awarded 4.6%. Uh, or $17.2 billion to women-owned small businesses, and that's against a goal of 5%, so getting very close there. 9.46% or $34.7 billion to small disadvantaged businesses, and that's against a goal of 5%. Way over. Uh, 3.68% or $13.5 billion to service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses, and that's against a goal of 3%. And 1.82% or $6.97 billion to hub zone firms, and that's against a goal of 3%. So uh, SBA also released its uh, small business procurement scorecards for individual agencies, and of the 24 agencies that are scored, 20 received a grade of A or A plus. So congratulations to all of our agencies for that big achievement. That's great news. Good job. The Department of Energy has issued a revised acquisition letter which addresses the performance of inherently governmental and critical functions. The guidance implements the Office of Federal Procurement Policy's policy letter on inherently governmental functions that was issued in October 2011. Now, obviously, being that that is 2011, this is a revision of the original guidance that DOE had implemented. DOE revised the letter to make minor editorial changes, and it will be in effect immediately and remain so until superseded or canceled. GSA's Inspector General says the Federal Acquisition Service could strengthen its training and warranting programs for its contracting officers. Among its findings, OIG noted that COs who administer and award schedule contracts are not receiving necessary specialized training and are taking courses unrelated to government contracting to maintain their warrants. However, they also have limited options for live instructor-led training available to them. So OIG recommended that FAS provide specialized training and encourage more live instructor-led courses, ensure all continuous learning supports the competencies that are associated with Federal Acquisition Certification and contracting, or FACSI, 
and ensure that information in the Federal Acquisition Institute training application system is accurate and verified, and that training coordinators have the right access to the system. The Center for Strategic and International Studies uh, issued a new report with recommendations for ways the Department of Defense can leverage private sector innovation to retain its technological advantages. That's a big goal of the current version of the Better Buying Power Initiative. Among those recommendations, CSIS urged DOD to examine different funding mechanisms for innovation and emerging operational needs to support small demonstration projects and experiments to incorporate outside innovation, encourage prototyping, and expand projects that identify specific technology developments from the private sector, and to identify capability gaps and match emerging technologies to those gaps. This week, DOD also issued two new acquisition-related publications. DOD Regulation 4500.36-R, Acquisition, Management, and Use of Motor Vehicles, is a manual providing procedures for the operation of department-owned, leased, and operated non-tactical vehicles. The manual applies to all defense components and is effective July 7. Also this week, the Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy announced the release of the Defense Contingency Contracting Handbook, Version 5, which provides essential information for contingency contracting officers and other operational contract support staff. Several new features have been added, including updated text reflecting the current contingency environment, direct links to applicable FAR and DFARS references, illustrated real-world examples, and new checklists and links to new resources. Well, we had lots of regulatory activity to uh, recap. First up, the Postal Service published a proposed rule that would revise procedures governing debarment fact-finding hearings. This mainly pertains to who is in charge of what. The revised rules being proposed would replace those set forth in 39 CFR Part 957, and comments are due by July 31st, 2015. The Department of the Treasury has set a new prompt payment interest rate for the second half of this year. Effective July 1st, that rate is 2 and 3 eighths percent per annum. As a reminder, any agency who has incurred the penalties must calculate how much that's going to be using the interest rate in effect at the time the obligation to pay the penalty was accrued. The Federal Highway Administration published notice of a proposed rule that would implement the construction manager slash general contractor method of contracting, which allows a contracting agency to use one procurement to secure both pre-construction and construction services. This would allow the agency to get the building contractor's input during the design and environmental review processes, because when left unattended, that can really jack up costs later in the process. If the agency and contractor then agree on a price and scope of work, they may execute a contract for the construction phase of the project or just a portion of the project. Comments on the proposed rule are due by August 28, 2015. We also had a new federal acquisition circular last week with seven final rules. Seven. How did how did I get this one? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I will try to be succinct, so no fast forwarding on the podcast if you're listening. Effective July 2nd, one final rule implements the government-wide statutory prohibition on contracting with any foreign incorporated entity that is an inverted domestic corporation or any subsidiary of such entity. This applies to firms that reincorporate overseas to avoid paying U.S. taxes. Taxes if the firms are majority owned by U.S. stakeholders and have no substantial business in the foreign company where they are incorporating. A related rule, effective November 1, 2015, modifies the FAR to require offers to self-certify whether or not they are an inverted domestic corporation or a subsidiary. 
We have three more final rules that are will be effective on August 3rd. The first clarifies that a determination of exceptional circumstances is needed when a non-competitive contract awarded on the basis of unusual and compelling urgency exceeds one year, either at award or due to post-award modifications. The second rule amends the FAR to make permanent the test program for special simplified procedures for purchases of commercial items greater than the simplified acquisition threshold, but not exceeding $6.5 million. The third final rule amends the FAR to correct terminology to update the descriptions of federal product and service codes related to exemptions from service contract labor standards. Sixth rule, effective October 1st, this amends the FAR to implement inflation adjustments to acquisition-related thresholds. Changes include the micro-purchase threshold, which will increase to $3,500, the commercial items test program ceiling, which will increase from $6.5 million to $7 million, the cost or pricing data threshold, which will increase from $700,000 to $750,000, the prime contractor subcontracting plan, floor is increased from $650,000 to $700,000, while the construction threshold will remain at $1.5 million. The threshold for reporting first-tier subcontract information, including executive compensation, is increased from $25,000 to $30,000. The cost or pricing data threshold and cost accounting standard threshold are raised from $700,000 to $750,000. And the simplified acquisition threshold of $150,000 is unchanged, as are Fed BizOps pre-award and post-award notices, which remain at $25,000. And finally, the seventh rule just made some editorial changes, which I will not go into. Oh, my gosh. Love those facts. So I noticed trend-wise common theme emerging among some of the week's development, and that is innovation. Innovation, innovation. is buzzy. Oh, so buzzy. Um, but you know these buzzwords, sometimes you roll your eyes and you think to yourself, oh, my gosh, is this just so much hot air, innovation? Or is it a real and constructive <laughs> concept? Well, I, th- I think you know, and, you know, any new idea can just be hot air if you don't have an action plan. Right. Um, you know, something like innovation in government, especially, when, you know, you're talking about procurement that we've been hearing about this a lot. And it really started out buzzy. It's like, oh, let's innovate. Let's innovate. But nobody really had any idea what that meant. Sure. Um, but lately, uh, you know, we've seen a lot more concrete examples. And I think it's really becoming uh, a thing. Right. It, it's becoming something that agencies can really you know, take a hold of. Um, you know, there are a lot of ideas and projects where uh, you know, that an official can discuss or point to and say, that's what I mean. That's the kind of thing I want you to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, then you can have a discussion, right? You're less focused on this week's vocabulary word yeah. and more focused. You know, don't get me started on risk. You know, but you can focus on action. I like action. I like plans. Exactly. So. And now, you know, this is inherently tricky, though, because normally, right, what do we see reiterated again and again? The best practices for putting a new effort into place are supposed to be you establish your goals and objectives, you outline a plan to get there, and then you identify the metrics you're going to use to say, hey, are we doing a good job? Now, with innovation, part of the challenge is two of those three practices are difficult, if not impossible, to come up with. And clear goals, that is totally going to be fuzzy because the idea is to come up with a new idea. You know, you're not going to have a goal necessarily. And Metrics are kind of the same. How how are you going to know exactly if you're accomplishing what you want to? It sort of depends on the challenge you're seeking to address. But one of the things you can do is put into place a structure that is going to set the stage for innovation. Okay, but now what is that going to look like? You're talking about the concrete things we can point to. So, I mean, 
let's point to well, some things. Right. Well, like like I mentioned, one of the things you can point to is people that are already doing it, right? People that have that have made their suggestions. Uh, you know, for me, the Department of Health and Human Services is a great example. We've we've talked about them before um, on the podcast. Yes, uh, they've I, been at this for a couple of years now. Yeah, Idea right. Lab. Idea their Lab. Idea Lab. Yes, and uh, the Buyers Club. They're doing all. They're doing a lot of new things. Very interesting things over there. Um, this week, uh, Chief Technology Officer Susanna Fox talked about uh, what they're going to be doing to expand the Idea Lab across the department and to and to really get more buy-in on that. Mm. And of course, it's logical to assume that they're doing what works, right? Yes. Um, you know, it's going to vary from agency to agency, you know, what exactly is going to work for you. But, you know, it makes sense that HHS is going to, you know, they're not going to expand something that didn't work. Um, so uh, Fox says that HHS plans to ask all of its operating divisions to establish their recognition programs uh, for employees and teams who suggest innovative ideas and who demonstrate a commitment to creative problem solving. Mm. Right? So recognize the people that are, you know, doing good work. Sure. Um, now, they also plan some more contracts concrete steps like uh, relying more on open source technology which again that's something we talked about last week with the air force uh, their pilot project for That's our buzzword uh, for next week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's our the good land. Yeah, you know, we talked about their pilot project uh, for plug and play systems that operate with their open source surveillance system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um the HHS also wants to develop ways to help innovative personnel move through the department and other organizations to both share expertise and to get new knowledge. And uh, one interesting right Right. One interesting thing she mentioned, and uh, that was carving out time in which staff will be uh, tasked with putting the pilot into play. Uh, you know, any take a new promising idea that the group feels has legs and and run with it. Yes. And giving it the time to do that. Absolutely. That is so important. We often see, you know, watchdog reports, they come back and say, oh, OK, well, this, you know, idea sounded great. But, you know, this single individual was given three different roles to play. And of course, practically speaking, you can't be on the places at one time. There's only so many hours in the workday, et cetera, et cetera. So if you don't specifically tell people, yes, this is important enough that I want you to take this time to, you know, go forth, be creative. It's, it's not necessarily going to happen. Right. Now, it's, it's uh, true with it's true with oversight and, you know, tasks. And it's also true with this kind of and this is a this is a cherry on top kind of project. Right. It's not right. It's not your day to day workload project. So definitely you need to give. give this would always be pushed to the bottom of the list if right. it wasn't pushed to the top, you know, forcibly. So um, now another interesting point of the innovation that we saw come through this week. OK, your your CSIS report. Right. Does innovation come from the outside in? You know, is it from private sector or should it come from the inside out? Right. And, and this this in this report, CSIS is really urging DOD to to take more actions where they can get outside innovation. Um, now, in making these recommendations, uh, the group said that the changing global economy and the fast evolution of technology means that DOD can't wait to build its own ideas internally. Oh, yeah. um, you know, its procurement processes are too slow. Uh, you know, DOD itself has acknowledged that the budget is not going to allow for that to the extent that it did in the past. Uh, you know, DOD used to be a net exporter of technology. Tech developed you know, for the military used to make its way out into the private sector, into our toys and gadgets. Um, and now it's a net importer. So the reality is the DOD has to adapt to ideas coming from outside the department and, and really from outside the, the traditional defense sector. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, ideas are migrating in from everywhere. Now, on the other hand, though, just today we covered the Department of Homeland Security's launch of its Procurement Innovation Lab. Um, Chief Procurement Officer Soraya Correa gave an interview with Federal News Radio and discussed, you know, what they're doing and and that 
it's focusing on getting ideas to, um, you know, really address the procurement process. It's not, you know, a lot of times we see it for digital services and things. Um, but one thing she mentioned, and I thought this was so cool, she said, we are the people that know our business processes the best, and we can come up with the best ideas. I'm paraphrasing slightly here, but, you know, I, so sure, new ideas, fresh blood from outside the organization, that can be great, but the people who really know the ins and outs are are in the best position to say, well, hey, why don't we try this instead? Right, right, exactly. That's 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 what's one thing that's so encouraging about these these ideas. You know, HHS's and now DHS's is that they're they're spreading this out among the whole department. Anybody involved in the process can suggest ideas, and they'll take a look at them. And one thing that I really liked um, also in that interview, Korea says that the lab will support procurement offices as they try out their new ideas, but will let them own the process. They'll own, you know, they'll they'll be the ones implementing and they'll own the success. Uh, but if an idea does not work out, she will take responsibility and kind of take the heat you know, for something that doesn't work out. So she's providing cover for those procurement offices. Uh, you know, when people come in and say, "Here's my idea, can I try it?" You know, she's giving them the stamp of approval. Uh, so they're, you know, they want the heat won't come down if something doesn't work out. And I, I, I really thought that was a, a, wow. a great thing to say. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's so awesome. Important. Really stand up. And, you know, they need that cover. They absolutely do. And what we see pointed out over and over again is the key to creating lasting change is growing a new thing, you know, into the culture. You make it a habit. So I feel like if you grow the innovation organically from the inside, it's going to have more staying power because, you know, if you bring fancy consultants in, what happens when they go home? And there's also some natural resistance to somebody else coming in. They have no idea what your day-to-day work life is like. And they're, oh, they're bringing their highfalutin ideas and throwing them around. And, you know, contrast that with you get the stakeholder buy-in from the get-go because it came from those people. And, you know, honestly, this puts me in mind of I, I saw Steve O'Keefe's IT column. Um, about GSA's 18F group. Now, we, we've totally heard great buzz about these guys. Okay, They're in, in such hot demand to come help out at different agencies, they can't even go visit everybody who wants them. But, you know, there's a little pushback, too, because, um, you know, O'Keefe said that he was hearing from some of the procurement people, like, well, sure, great. I mean, if they suspended all the rules, you know, we could do some pretty cool things pretty fast, too, you know, and I, I think that's a, that's a valid point. So, Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fair shot. Um, you know, one thing in in contrast, the there are a, there are a lot of these things currently. You know, the digital services and 18F and all these things right now are really kind of at the administration level, right? They're at, they're in, they're coming out of OMB, they're coming out of out of GSA, but we are seeing now more of a push to get these these ideas out into the agencies, right? The, the administration yes. wants the agencies to set up their own digital services groups. I mean, that was a mandate. Um, you know, they had to do that by the end of this year, and the administration has asked for funding uh, for fiscal year 2016 to, to get them, you know, get those established. Now, Congress so far has taken that out of the budget. They did mm-hmm. not, that did not make it out of committee. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what, you know, what happens there. Um, we also have, you know, like the IT acquisition cadres, which yeah, that's been ongoing for a while, but that's also part of Fitera. So agencies will have to get those set up. Um, Anne Rung is going to be having uh, new guidance uh, this summer sometime about uh, encouraging agencies to set up their own buyers club. I, she announced that a, a little while ago, probably in May or so, and I've been waiting for it. And it's like it's like she doesn't even care. <laughs> <laughs> that you're on I'm, the line I'm, holding I'm her. I mean, I'm really <laughs> excited about it because I think that's going to be a big deal because HHS has done such a fantastic job. And so it's it's July 10th. So ah. 
I'm waiting. Yes. Um, but that'll be coming. Pony up lady. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> so I think, you know, so we are seeing it, 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 it might not seem like it because these are these are all kind of separate initiatives, but there is there is an effort to get agencies to have this expertise internally, so that it's not coming out of ATF, it's not coming out of the Digital Services Group, it's not coming from OMB. Um, so there's a lot of recognition um, that these ideas, right, innovation, risk taking, this stuff needs to come from within. Now, obviously, that's easier when you have big things in place. You know, your management support, your top down support from senior leadership, you know, they, that they buy into innovation and trying new ideas and taking some risks and they give you time and also funding. No, they give you money too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I, as, I, as I mentioned, Congress, you know, the House just took funding for the digital services teams out of the budget. Poof. Right. You can't count um, on it. Right. Yeah. You know, so the, the bottom line is, you know, we, we know this isn't exactly how government works uh, you know, day to day. And, you know, this is a huge workload. It's a lot of, there's a lot of compliance requirements and, you know, the workforce is stretched thin. So it does, there are, there are a lot of, a lot of, uh, cultural changes and, and especially from the top down that need to happen. Absolutely. Uh, to, to but give people the, the time and space to innovate. You know, it's our, anybody who we still haven't put to sleep here. I'm going to fact in this long discussion. Um, you know, there are absolutely concrete steps you can take to innovate, even if the stars are not all aligned with money and you get super progressive bosses and, you know, there, you don't have to work for Google and have ping pong tables in your break room to, you know, get your hands onto this stuff. One thing that we covered, um, this, just this past spring was Anne Rung's interview with, uh, the project manager Mark Nagar for HHS's Buyers Club and he talked about, okay, it's tech again, but it's just an example, right? It was a tech acquisition they helped with. First off, they made it agile, right? Okay, that's fine for tech. Doesn't always work with a tangible thing that you want. So, okay, so what then? This is the takeaway I wanted to touch on. The Buyers Club converted the statement of work that they had formerly had into a results-based statement of objectives. Now, that allowed offerers to come in with their own solutions. And further, they broke it down into two stages. Stage one, they asked the vendors to bring in a short concept paper and a pricing proposal, not the full detailed proposal at that point, right? Stage two, offerers who made into the competitive range and had some good stuff there, they got a tidbit of funding, okay? They, they dispersed this through purchase orders and were able to develop prototypes, and they could then use that, number one, to show their skills off, okay, you know, real-world skills, we actually can do this, and number two, how fast they could come up with that viable product, and then the agency was able to make their pick from there, so right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Prototyping is big, and I love that example. That I that was a great interview um, on the OFPP podcast. Um, you know, we saw that again this week. Uh, the Army is running an acquisition for their uh, transportable cybersecurity defense kit, and they challenged industry to propose solutions. And uh, now they're going to do a down select of the best ones and have the vendors create a prototype that they'll demo for the service before the uh, Army has to buy anything. Yeah. And like I mentioned before, you know, the Air Force did its plug and play. Yes. Um, you know, they're, they're doing open architecture. They set up their system and had vendors come in and say, okay, plug your thing into our surveillance system, our reconnaissance system, and see what it does. Show us what it does. Sure. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of interesting things you can do without spending a whole lot of money. One other thing about the Buyers Club thing I wanted to touch on, when they formulated that entire solicitation, the two stages, down select, they, they got tons of vendor weigh-in on helping to shape it before they went live with it, right? So you want to remember the concept of you don't know what you don't know, but you know who does know what you don't know? 
your vendor pool, right? So get them involved and help them, you know, tell you, come up with the ideas and bring it. You know, you don't need to tell them we want this thing, you know. It, let them bring the latest widget to you. So right, that's another right, strategy. Right. Right. Market market research and communicating with industry. Yes. yes. And you know, you don't need you don't need special permission, you know, to, to do some of this stuff. I mean there are flexibilities in the FAR. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, last week also uh, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency Deputy Director Susan Gordon um, issued a, a letter to her workforce with some advice. Um, she asked them to, you know, to do things like uh, use more small, fast, bite-sized agile development projects. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, things like challenge the status quo, leverage your best practices. Um, develop tools and guidance that emphasize the flexibilities in the FAR. Yes, um, the flexibilities. Yes. And in DFARs, right? Yeah, we hear it yes. over and over. If it is not specifically prohibited by the FAR, it's allowed, right? Okay. Yes. So, yes. yes take, absolutely. Take that home with you people. So, all right. Yes. Well, we are going to let you go. We have kept you a long time this week. But anyway. Yes, you have. <laughs> but thanks for bearing with us. And we would love to have your feedback on the format or content or anything else you'd like to tell us. Also, we are going to be providing links to all of the headlines that we recapped in this week's podcast for further reading if you need to delve into anything more deeply. And you can find those links on the same page on VAO where you downloaded this podcast. And that's it for this week. We'll be back on July 17th with our next weekly news recap. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you then.